Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Welcome back. I'm glad you're still with me. I'm working hard to get ahead on adding episodes to the queue so that I can keep sharing with you as I grow the client base for my new company. On a side note, if any of you happen to work in healthcare continuing education and need some part-time support or an accreditation consultant, or if you know someone who does, I'm available at BannerCES.com. As much as I enjoy making this podcast, it simply does not pay the bills. Um, So you could also tell all of your friends that they need to start listening so I can suddenly get significant quantities of ad revenue, or maybe you could start some, anyway. All of that's at the end and the outro. You've heard it before. Um, Anyway, today is another Iliad day. We are up to book 19, um, so we're closing in on the climax when Achilles... Well, it doesn't happen in this book, so I'm not going to spoil it if you're reading along with me. Or at least I'm not going to spoil anything that Homer hasn't already foreshadowed. And by foreshadowed, I mean flat out said is fated to happen. (laughs) So... Book 19. Dawn rises, and Thetis returns to Achilles with the armor that Hephaestus made for him. She finds Achilles curled up with the body of Patroclus, weeping. She takes him by the hand and tells him that it's all right, that they grieve, um, but that it's time to let Patroclus's physical form go. She puts down the armor, and all of the ant-men, I mean Myrmidons, are afraid to even look at it, except for Achilles. He is briefly mesmerized by the armor. Then he turns to Thetis and thanks her for this gift from the gods. He's ready to put on his new armor, but he worries about what will happen to Patroclus. He doesn't want his friend's body to rot. Thetis reassures him that it will not, and to ensure this, she anoints Patroclus with ambrosia and nectar. Pardon me. Okay, anoint might not be the right word. Um, She puts it up his nose. Achilles walks along the shore, crying out and stirring up the Greeks. Everyone assembles, even Agamemnon, and Achilles apologizes for his side in their little spat. He says he wishes Briseis had just been killed instead of captured, because then they would have had no quarrel whatsoever. And Agamemnon responds by apologizing for his part, and he does it in the most politician-y way. You know, where you apologize, but you don't really apologize. I mean, sure, he's sorry, but if it hadn't been for Zeus and Destiny and Erinus, um, which you remember is Fury, um, I mean, not even Zeus can escape his daughter, Delusion. You remember her story? Oh, yeah, good old Delusion. Oh, if it hadn't been for her, Heracles would have been firstborn, and Zeus would have been so happy. But that's not what happened. So Zeus cast her out of Olympus, and that's why she's on Earth and able to delude men instead. And that's why Agamemnon wasn't thinking clearly. So, yeah, sorry about that. Want your stuff back? Such a great apology. Can you hear me rolling my eyes? Achilles shrugs. Sure. He'll take everything back if Agamemnon doesn't want it anymore. Whatever. He's more interested in fighting. Odysseus steps in and says that everyone should have a bite to eat first. After all, an army marches on its stomach. Achilles just wants to fight and refuses to eat, but Odysseus convinces him that everyone else should still have something for breakfast. While they eat, 
um, everything Agamemnon took from Achilles and then some is returned. And this includes seven women plus a certain Briseis over whom all this trouble started. Or, you know, the argument between Agamemnon and Achilles, not the whole Trojan War. Anyway, when she sees Patroclus, she goes into full-on mourning mode, speaking of what a good man he was. While the women are mourning, the men continue to encourage Achilles to eat, but he remains steadfast. He will not eat again until sundown. He speaks to Patroclus, remembering the good times, and thinks of his son, Neoptolemus, who he had to leave because of Helen, and he thinks of his father, Peleus, and how he'll feel when he learns that Achilles is dead, or, you know, maybe they're all dead already. Well, except for Helen, of course, damn Helen. His friends mourn with him. Zeus, watching from above, feels sorry and tells Athena to go and give Achilles a bit of nectar and ambrosia. Just sneak it into him so that he doesn't notice. But just, you know, give him enough to give him strength for the coming battle. And, and Athena does as she is asked. Achilles puts on his armor. Fire shines from him as he does so, a sign of the gods. Automedon brings his chariot with his immortal horses, Xanthos and Balios. Hera breathes a voice into Xanthos, so now he isn't only immortal, but he can talk, too. Xanthos says they'll do their best to keep him safe, but when his time comes, well, no one can stop fate. And the fates aren't keen on keeping on, on the horse giving them away, so they take that voice back to shut him up. Um, Achilles is disturbed and asks Xanthos, you know, why, why would you prophesy my death? Um, it's not, not a horse's place. Um, Besides, Achilles already knows that he is supposed to die at Troy, but he's going to make his, take as many Trojans down with him as he possibly can. And that is where book 19 ends. Abrupt? Yes. <laughs> Think of it as a cliffhanger. There are two things that I want to touch on in this episode. First, Briseis. We've heard a lot about this woman off and on through the epic, but this is the first that we've really seen her. And and what do we see? A sweet, perfect little woman. She behaves exactly as she should. She sees that Patroclus has died and immediately starts weeping and wailing. I mean, she's not wrong. Patroclus was a great guy. Um, you've heard me cry over him. Um, but you do have to wonder how genuine her emotions are. And we have no barometer to judge her by because up until now, she's just been a concept. So is she grieving because she really had developed a relationship with Patroclus? Um is she grieving because she fears what will happen without Patroclus there to temper Achilles? We know Achilles is a bit of a hothead, right? Is she grieving because that's what she's supposed to do? Um, I, I, we don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to say, but because we have so little of that of her as a character, it's, it is interesting to think about the position that she is in as as a woman of some status who has been captured um, and forced into slavery as, as a war captive. 
the second thing that stands out in this episode, um, and, and this is much more if you are writing a paper for school, this might be something to, to, to look at and, and look into. Um, and that's uh, the concept of divinity. Um, Achilles has armor from the gods. He has now been fed nectar and ambrosia, which is the food of the gods. We know his mother is an immortal. Um, and there's this fire shining from him, which is a sign of immortality. But he's not immortal. He has lots of things that should only happen for immortals. So is it simply because his mother is Thetis? Um, is it because the gods just can't keep out of the war? Is it because immortality and divinity are two different things? Are these not immortal signs, but divine signs? And can, um, can could it be that Achilles is divine even though he is mortal? Um, and I know what you may be thinking, that Meshuggah heel. Achilles is immortal except for his heel. And yeah, that is commonly told as part of his story, but Homer never mentions it. He never mentions Thetis trying to make Achilles immortal. He never mentions that Achilles has only one weakness, and that is his heel. And it may be part of the larger myth of Achilles, but it isn't part of this story. So why isn't it? Why why doesn't Homer include that part of the myth of Achilles? Um, maybe because his audience already knows that story because it's not important to the story of the Iliad because that's not it's not about Achilles' death. It's about his his anger. Um, or or maybe maybe because it's better for Achilles to be fully mortal instead of immortal save. Um, save for his heel. Um, but that brings me back to my original question. Divinity versus mortality. Um, sorry, versus immortality. Is being divine, can you be divine without being immortal? What do you think? Uh, yes, there are discussion prompts related to this and more on the blog. And the link, as always, is in the show notes. On Friday, we have a few more Homeric hymns to go through. This week, we'll do the three that are dedicated to Aphrodite. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.